Welcome to the Ghostology Podcast. You're about to listen to part one of our interview with John Olson, paranormal author and investigator from Cache Valley, Utah. If you like this podcast, be sure to download part two of our interview with John. Thank you for listening. Hello, I am Scott Bryan, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Ghostology. And this is my co-host, Kevin Bowerman. Today, we are excited to bring you a special guest named John Olson. He is an author of the Bridgerland Stranger series. He's written four books, and one is soon to be published, so that will be a total of five. He is also organizing the Bridgerland Para-X Paranormal Convention, which will be held on October 9th, 2021, at the Cache County Event Center in Logan, Utah. Is anyone there? We want to make contact with you. We want to share your story. We're going to seek the truth no matter where we find it. Everyone's got a ghost story. I'd like to tell you mine. And the look on his face was a look of shock. First thing I did was go over to him and say, are you okay? I want you to breathe. Welcome to Ghostology. I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about John. John Olson was born and raised in Cache Valley, and at the age of eight, he began to realize that he lived in kind of a strange home. His parents, who still live to this day in the home, was built in the mid-1880s. And he had strange experiences from phantom knocks and loud boots running up and down the stairs. And also there were missing objects that happened throughout his time living in that home. He began to call the entity or the things that happened the man in the hat. This really sparked John's interest in the paranormal and it grew throughout his time in this house. He was forbidden by his parents from telling anyone his experiences for fear of what others in his small town in Cache Valley would think. He found solace in learning everything he could about his encounters from library books. And as he reached his teen years, his friends would visit his home and also have experiences of their own. This opened the door for him to tell others of his experiences. As he has shared his extraordinary stories, his friends came to him with other stories of paranormal experiences and also of the supernatural. Fueled by his experiences of the unknown, John has spent the last 25 years interviewing and documenting firsthand accounts of those who have witnessed all kinds of strange events and unusual phenomena in the Western United States. The Stranger Bridgeland series contains firsthand accounts of everything from ghosts, monsters, hauntings, glitches in the Matrix, Sasquatch, and UFOs. Good morning, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, guys. So I guess, John, the first question is, we've introduced you. Is there anything else that people should know about you and your experiences? Um, yeah, you did a great job um, explaining how I kind of grew up in this older home and how uh, my experiences when I was younger got me very interested in the paranormal. 
yet there were a lot of strange things that went on in this house. It was originally built, and the land was purchased by the railroad, or actually was given to the railroad by the U.S. government. Back in the day when they were building the railroad, that's kind of how the government paid for it, was they gave land to the railroad, and the railroad would parcel it off and then sell it to people coming out west. And that's how the land and the house there originally was built. And around the 1920s, from the first owners that built it in the 18 in 1883, uh, around uh, the early 1920s was when my family purchased it. And members of my family have been in it ever since. And so it's got a really interesting, deep history and definitely a paranormal background. So, John, in your bio, you said that you began to call, I guess, for a lack of a better word, the entity or whoever was causing this, the man in the hat. Was there a reason for that or was that how did that name come about? So um, one of the one I think there's actually more than one entity in the house, but um, the two things we called it as when we were younger as kids was the man in the hat and the stair monster. And the reason we called it the stair monster because there's a steep set of stairs that goes from the main level up to the second level where my bedroom was, and that's where you always heard the footsteps running up and down. And I have an older sister and a younger brother. And just as kids, you come up with names uh, that kind of explain things. So we came up with, we called it the stair monster or the man in the hat. And the reason for that is um, all of us had an ex- at least one experience. Uh, I'll share mine, uh, where I was in about eighth grade at the time that I remember specifically. I came home from school. Uh, nobody was home yet. Uh, my mom was out running errands. So I made myself a sandwich and I went in the front room and and plopped on the couch getting ready to turn the TV on. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught some movement and I looked and here's this individual, a tall, skinny man with a white shirt and overalls and a wide brimmed hat, but you couldn't see his face. And he was very much see-through what you think of when you think of a full body apparition. And he walked in and um, sat down across from me in the rocking chair and started rocking back and forth. And I closed my eyes and I counted to 10 and opened my eyes and he was gone, but the chair was still rocking and I jumped up and ran out of the room. At that point, we all kind of had had experiences with the man in the hat, the tall man in the hat. Um, So that's where that name came from. Uh, My mother at the time didn't tell us, but later on would tell me that there were quite a few times in her bedroom, which was the master main bedroom, that uh, he would walk in and she would see him out of the, her her peripheral vision and then think it was my dad and start talking to him and then turn to, to you know ask him why he's not answering. And it was the man in the hat and he would disappear. So that's where that, that name came from. So you, it sounds like you've kind of had a lot of the same experiences we've had in that, how do I put this, in the West, I don't think the people are as open to paranormal experiences as, say, they are back East. And what I mean by that is, for example, with our group, I've talked about this extensively, we once had a woman in the town of Blackfoot, Idaho, who was experiencing extreme paranormal activity in her house but she wouldn't allow us to come in and help her because she was absolutely frightened 
about what her neighbors would say if they found out that, you know, we were there, the Southeast Idaho Paranormal Organization was there to help her. So it sounds like you kind of experienced kind of similar things in, in your communities that you've lived. Um, yeah, for, for the longest time, especially when I was younger, um, my dad especially was, you know, he would, he would say things like he'd hear us talking or we'd ask questions and he would be adamant one that the house wasn't haunted and two that we weren't supposed to talk about it because it is a smaller community that I grew up in. And, you know, people tend to talk. It's, I, I always say that in the, the small communities, the two things people really work on is gossiping and trying to avoid being gossip. Those are the two things they do best. And so, uh, yeah, for the longest time, I just wasn't allowed to talk about it outside of the family and and even to my dad. Like, we could talk a little bit to my mother about it, and she was more open in the house. But as for, you know, telling anybody outside of the house, it was definitely a no-no. <laughs> and so let's talk a little bit about Utah and the West in general. You live in, you know, you live close to Logan, Utah, but... Mm-hmm. One thing I've always said is that paranormal activity was much more common than anyone would ever admit. In your area, especially in Utah and and in the Northwest states, are there any kind of paranormal hotspots, cities, or locations that that you've kind of identified? Um, There are. It's interesting because as as I've grown up here and uh, my first book really dealt with everything around here because um, it was all word of mouth, and then I had to hunt down um, where the story came from. But I've definitely um, been able to pinpoint certain spots in Cache Valley, uh, which is in northern Utah. USU, uh, Utah State University, has a lot of uh, activity. Um, there's a building on campus. It's called Old Main, and it's one of the oldest buildings, if not the oldest building up there. It was actually built when it was originally a part of Brigham Young University before they even had BYU down south. And um, I interviewed a woman who spent many years as um, you know on the janitorial staff up there, and they would work from three or four in the morning until the students got there around eight or nine o'clock. And she had, you know, she had many stories just in that one building running into ghosts. And they have several um, specific ghosts on campus. They have uh, in the basement a ghost of a what they call the librarian. Um, she's in a black long dress and a brooch and her hair is always messed up an arm full of books and she's always in a hurry. And she talked about the first time she ran into her, it was in the basement. This woman's coming towards her and she's just kind of amazed because she's completely out of place. And the woman said hi to her as she ran by. And then she turned to ask her if she needed help and she was gone. And when that was like probably the second day she worked there and the, the other people on staff said, Oh, you met the librarian. So, uh, Utah State's definitely got a lot of ghosts on it. One of the sororities is very haunted on campus. The cemetery, Logan Cemetery, which is on USU campus, is uh, very haunted. There's a statue up there of the weeping woman that uh, is very prominent um, in Logan lore. Then Logan Canyon itself is extremely haunted. They have stories of a witch up there called Witch Hecata, which a certain canyon she resides in and will chase people out. 
that was that's been a folklore for back as long as I can remember. And it actually took me many years to hunt down a firsthand account of somebody running into her. Uh, one of the things that I that I do in my books that I've always followed is I have to be able to interview the story from the person that it happened to. So sometimes it takes me a long time to hunt those people down because I want it to be firsthand. But there are also orbs all over in Logan Canyon. So that's definitely another place that's very haunted. There's another canyon in, in Cache uh, County on the uh, north end. It's called Green Canyon. It is very haunted. It has a prevalent spirit in it of an old farmer or miner that really hates when people camp in his area and will drive them out of there. And then also uh, the Wellsville Mountains, which lie on the west side of the valley, have a lot of ghost stories and a lot of haunted um, spots up there as well. And uh, Wellsville City, which lies at the base of the Wellsville Mountains, was the first um, settlement in Cache Valley. So it has a deep, re- rich history of uh, the pioneers and pioneer ghosts and things like that. So, John, I know you've been doing this for 25 years, gathering all the information, whether it's doing investigations or just talking to people or book research or anything like that. In your time, what is the most compelling piece of evidence that you have come across? So other than, you know, my own visual, when when I have seen it myself, one of the more compelling things that I've gathered myself was was at my own home or at my parents' home. Back when my children were young and I was building my house, uh, we stayed for a couple months at my parents' house. My son was playing with the video recorder upstairs and they were him and and one of his friends are were talking and playing on the video camera. And you you hear a voice when they pause of a deep growling voice in German of all things telling him to get out of the house and it was clear as day uh, coming through there and that one you know every, when I even think about it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck but that's definitely one that other than what I've seen on my own with my own eyes that um, was kind of amazing to me. Hey John just have a quick question so in that house was there any history with German people there, or were you ever able to make a correlation there? Why would it be in German? See, and that's the one thing that kind of confuses me. Unless it was one of the original ones that purchased the house, all of my family are all of Danish descent. I, I can only imagine that it must have been one of the first people that built the house could have been German ancestry or German immigrants. The vast majority of Cache Valley was actually settled by Danish Danish and English Mormon settlers. So it's kind of strange that it would be in German. But having taken German in high school, it, it popped right out to me when I originally saw that when my son showed it to me. Uh, sadly enough, I downloaded it on a computer. This has been many, many years ago. And that computer fried on me and I haven't been able to pull off the the evidence back off of that hard drive but yeah I it's definitely very strange it could go back to some of the people that originally built the house right we, we it's funny because we had something similar happen actually in Pocatello just real quickly there was an old warehouse next to the railroad tracks uh, Pocatello Idaho is a big railroad town I know there was mm-hmm. a lot of railroad there in Utah but we actually captured one of our best EVPs 
where we had a male investigator and then a woman's voice came on and just said, I like you and I'm feeling lovey too. But the thing about it, it was the woman's voice was a pure British accent. And then when we did investigation into the actual warehouse, the structure was built as a dry goods store uh, for people that were following the railroad. And the people that built it were actually from England. And so that was just kind of interesting when you're talking about, hey, it was in German. We've actually been able to make those correlations that, yeah, here we get this British woman. Oh, I like you, and I'm feeling lovey too. Apologize for my horrible British accent. No. But then we find there's actually this correlation between the building and immigrants from, from England uh, with that structure. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of fascinating that that kind of correlation happens. I remember um, I interviewed one woman for I think it was either my first or second book, where her and her husband and another couple, when they were in college, they went out in the West Desert of Utah and were camping out by just past Golden Spike. Uh, if you know where the that is, that's where um, the Union Pacific and the Pacific. Let's see, the Union Pacific and the other railroad met in Utah anyway. But they had an incident where they were out hiking at night along the railroad tracks and had a lantern light coming down towards them. As they got closer, they realized there was nobody holding the lantern, and they stepped off the path, and as it walked by, they could hear two men talking, but they were talking in in Chinese. And um, she recognized it because she had friends that that were on campus that were Chinese and spoke Chinese. And and then the the lantern went down and went out. Well, when she told me this story, she wasn't even aware. And I had to tell her that not far far from where they were camping used to be the Chinese railroad camp where the Chinese would stay. The those that had been working on the railroad. So it all kind of correlated with her story. So, John, on that same line, we're talking about, you know, stuff we've heard, stuff we found. For lack of a better term, have you ever experienced something that freaked you out? Well, um, growing up um, in the house, you know, from like I was born in the, in, in, in the house, so there was a lot of things that went on. Um, very few things actually frightened me just because of the fact that they, uh, you know, I got used to it growing up in it. Uh, definitely the story, like I told earlier about seeing the man uh, walk in in the hat, definitely freaked me out as a kid. One story when I was older that I experienced that, I don't know if I was afraid, but I was kind of really excited because it was such an amazing experience. When my oldest son was born and was just a baby, my wife and I at the time both worked, so we needed somebody to babysit. My mother volunteered. She was very excited to babysit uh, the baby two days a week. And I come over on a Saturday to talk to my mom, and she was saying, oh, I got out all of your baby toys you know, and stuff. And she went in the front room and, and showed me everything. And one of the things that she had brought down was one of these old baby swings. If you remember, you'd put the baby in, you'd wind it up, and then you could push the baby and it would go back and forth, swish, you know, swish, click, swish, click. And um, so we went into the kitchen and we were talking and all of a sudden I could hear, you know, a swish click going on. And I looked at my mom. We were the only ones in the house. And we walked around into the front room, and here's the baby swing just going crazy back and forth. I turned to my mom, and I said, maybe we wound it up before we left. And just as I said that, it stopped mid-swing on the back, like a hand had grabbed it. 
and it lowered down and then gave a shudder like the hand had let go of it. You know, it was something that was just so amazing to me. I went over and I, I cranked it up and pushed it to see if it would work. And without the weight of a baby in it, it wouldn't it wouldn't swing but just a couple times. And this was just going back and forth. And so the invisible hand, whatever it was, or whoever it was, was definitely playing with that, that swing. And that was one thing that I don't know if I would call it scary, but I was very excited because of the fact that, you know, I, I love gathering those stories. I love the experiences. So um, that would be definitely one that, that kind of freaked me out a little. Yeah, I can understand that. And yes, I know exactly what you're talking about with that swing. We used to have one. For my son, too, identical to what you're talking about. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with John Olson, paranormal investigator and author of the Bridgeland Paranormal series. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to go and listen to the next episode of the Ghostology podcast for the full interview with John. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Ghostology, and I invite you to listen to future episodes. If you've liked what you've heard here and would like more Ghostology, you can always look for my books on Amazon.com, all under the title Ghostology. You can also visit our website at Ghostology.com. Thank you, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.